0: welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander. And as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of the University of Johannesburg Center for African Foreign Policy and Diplomacy. A very good afternoon to you, Cobus. Good afternoon, and a uh, good afternoon to our guest today. Who's also in Johannesburg, Erin Conway Smith, who's been someone. who, If you follow China Africa News, is somebody that will pop up on your radar quite a bit. She is a senior correspondent for the Global Post, and if you are not familiar with the Global Post, it's an excellent international news website based out of Boston. Uh, and Erin is is really an unusual guest on our on our show because she has actually spent four years in Beijing and now four years in South Africa, so brings a true uh, experience of China Africa relations to our show. A very good afternoon to you, Aaron. Good afternoon. And uh, so today, what we're going to be talking about, since Aaron's on the show, we thought we would delve back into our media topic. Now, this is one of the recurring themes on our show that we bring up every few months to talk about China's growing presence in African media. And there were a couple key events this past week that really put this back on our radar. Uh, there was a, an African media forum where really the who's who of African media editors were flown to, uh, to Beijing and attended this session at uh, the People's Daily, which of course is the largest Chinese newspaper uh, and one of the major official uh, mouthpieces of the Communist Party. Uh, and then also there was a deal done in Nigeria. Nigeria, where the Chinese are going to be giving up uh, you know, more TV programming in the Nigerian market. So we thought this would be a good opportunity to, to bring this up. And there was also a piece in the Globe and Mail newspaper that got a lot of buzz on Twitter this past week. So, Kobus, let's kind of step back a little bit. And we've talked about media before. Uh, but when you hear about the, this forum, and you see this deal in Nigeria, and this comes on the heels, of course, of the, uh, the independent newspapers deal in South africa the star times deal for satellite tv in south africa the growth of cctv in nairobi you know the headline in the globe and mail was this alarmist headline that they are trying to control african media when you look at the past couple weeks of headlines what's your take
1: um, my take is that it's complicated. Um, you know, kind of. I think that the first thing to do is—it's is, very important, particularly in, in contemporary media, to make a distinction between a network ownership and content control. Um, you know, kind of the one doesn't necessarily necessarily lead to the other, but it might. You know, kind of like it's. But but the issue is, is that. You know, kind of shareholders buying shares of of big media networks, that's a standard thing that's happening everywhere. Um, You know, kind of so it, it might not necessarily be that, you know, kind of that shareholdership. in in the case of of South African media networks, for example, equals control. However, you know, kind of when you're looking at state-owned media, um, like People's Daily, there you have a situation where there's a certain message coming into play as well. Um, And I think it's really important to remain nuanced about, you know, kind of which is which in in, in this particular case. So, Aaron, when you look at at the growing presence of Chinese
0: media uh, on the continent, do you, in your daily life uh, there in Johannesburg, run into Chinese media, whether it's the China Daily or whether CCTV on your TV's networks? I mean, do you get this sense that they're taking over?
2: No. <laughs> um, I, I do come across it. I mean, occasionally I'll put on, um, you know, CCTV 9 on, you know, which we get on satellite TV here. I don't see China Daily around, but... Um, and the thing is is that it's just not very good. <laughs> and so I find it hard. Like I'll watch it just out of interest, um and just to see what Africa stories are covering. Um but generally I, I just don't find much um much of interest um to me sort of as as a viewer. Um and so I, I actually think that's a problem with a lot of the Chinese expansion in in um in, in Africa, uh, I mean elsewhere in the world. I, I just think it's um it's very mediocre. Yeah. And so when I see sort of reporters from Africa going to China to do training sessions from, you know, the People's Daily or, um, you know, you know, one of the other, China Daily or Xinhua, it's sort of like, I'm kind of wondering what they're going to, what they're learning exactly. Who's training who? I, or I who should be training yeah. who? Yeah, yeah. But, and, yeah that's what, exactly. and,
0: and to the point on the content, and this is a really important point, Cobus, you know, I've brought this up a number of times in the past before. I'm going to go one step further than Erin, where she's being very polite and saying it's not very good. It outright just sucks. I mean, most of it is just <laughs> terrible. And so and I look at this deal in Nigeria where, uh, you know, the, the, the state council information Office. Signed an agreement with Nigerian te- Nigeria's television authority to provide Nigeria with Chinese documentaries and other TV programs for free. Aaron, you, you lived in China, I've lived in China. Those documentaries, I mean, if we hear, like, it's an, a 10 part series on the, on the Ba people in, uh, you know, going back 3,000 years, it really is the most dreadful programming you've ever seen. And, and, and so I'm not, so, so I'm gonna come now, and, and we'll put a little disclosure here. Uh, I'm gonna come up to this Globe and Mail article. And uh, written by Jeffrey York, who happens to be uh, aaron 's partner, but we will not hold you accountable for that okay um, but you know and so that 's why, with the context that most of the chinese content that's that 's distributed around the world is just crap um, this 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 headline that says why China is making a big play to control here 's the operative word. Africa 's media to me is this kind of alarmist type of reporting and we saw it in the New York Times this past week as well where China runs into four or five problems with its and its gas and oil deals and all of a sudden its entire oil strategy in Africa now is called into question and I think that if you look at the number of deals that've been made in the media sector they're less than a dozen um, it's you know nobody watches CCTV Africa they produce maybe two hours a day um, the you know They're not even doing content on the Star Times deal or on the independent deal. And, and, and this article, I think, is a complete jumble of all of that and feeds into this alarmist kind of China the boogeyman trying to take over. We would not see a comparable article, in my view, on the United States, the U.K., or the French, that they, and who you know have what? far um, greater influence in African media than the Chinese do? Go ahead, Koby. Um,
1: my, my feeling was, you know, I th- I came down a little less hard on the article than you did. Um, I think I think he made um, he made valuable points, but it was one of those situations where I kind of wanted the article to be five times as long um, because you know, kind of w- one of the problems for me is that when you take these these Chinese deals um, and you you see them in isolation in Africa, they do look alarming. But w- what it doesn't show is that Africa's media scape as a whole is exploding, um, and you know, kind of, there's more media being launched in Africa at the moment because they, 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 it's starting from such a low, kind of a low level to, to begin with. This, so you know, kind of, if you see it in context of all of the other media that's that's kind of expanding across Africa, then it starts looking not so big. Um, you know, for example, South Africa is aggressively trying to to kind of capture 24-hour news in in in, in, um, in Africa. They've Africans have launched two 24-hour news uh, you know, channels this year um, and there's already, a, there was another one running already. Um, you know, you see Russia, Russia today, you see Al Jazeera, you see France 24, it's, you know, kind of, there's a lot of, of like jumping into that particular swimming pool um, and I think, you know, kind of that needs to be taken into account. Okay,
0: so Aaron, what were your thoughts on the piece? Obviously, you had a different perspective because you might have heard about the reporting of it. But do you, do you do you at least see my point that there's a little bit of muddle that here in the headline it says why China is making a big play to control Africa's media? Then one of the few quotes that that Jeffrey features in the piece is from Anton Harber, a journalism professor at the University, university of Viz And he says, quote, "'I do not think Chinese authorities "'will crudely improve, impose their views on our media.'" Uh, you know, and that's where I thought maybe the newsroom wrote the headline, and so you know that often happens in journalism, where the reporter will put a much more nuanced headline, and then the they want the, the headquarters wants a more sensationalist type of something a little more catchy. Uh, but tell me your thoughts uh, on the piece, and the reason I think this piece is important is because it got a lot of buzz on Twitter.
2: Uh, Well, I mean, you're right, Uh, Jeff, I can say he didn't write the headline. He doesn't write the headlines for his own stories. And I do agree that it is it is an attention grabbing (laughs) headline. Um, uh, I I think that the reason why Chinese media expansion does get more attention than, say, South African, you know, with um, ENCA, it's, um, the, the ETV, uh, news channel is that, I mean, you can't kind of avoid the fact that Chinese media is still, um, under this, you know, under the state. And there is still an element of, you know, the P word propaganda in it. Um, like a lot of that just ends up again, as I was saying before, being so kind of bad and boring that it's unwatchable. Um, but there still is that, that kind of factor to it. Um, I do think it's interesting, you know, I know Jeff talked to a a number of people who worked for, for CCTV, um, and just the sort of things that they don't touch, um, and that they, you know, can't, can't mention in the stories, I think is interesting. I don't think it's surprising, um, it's the exact same situation as it is in China, um, I don't know where I'm going with this. Exactly. Well, I know.
0: I mean, he, but I'll bring up one other point, and this is where I think some context mm. is really important. Um, I, my, I spent five years at CNN, and CNN was a network, and I was at CNN International, where obviously it's the global service that that you all see and we all see. Uh, CNN, for example, during the time that I was there, would never do an anti- a, 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 a story critical of the tobacco industry because Kraft was one of the largest sponsors. Um, there was, you know, there was enormous self censorship at CNN. We had a policy uh, that no Israel could be labeled a terrorist. This was an editorial policy. You know, and my point is that if you start digging into most newsrooms, you're going to find this type of weird censorship policies. I don't say this to defend the Chinese at all, because I mean, obviously, the Chinese. um, You know, we all agree that they produce crap media when it comes to news uh, internationally. That is, but I, you know, I worked at France 24, where there was a cultural censorship. You know, where they would they wouldn't apply the same resources to uh, francophone countries and English. Phone countries. Um, that's an, that's sure. an, and and more importantly, uh, these are state-run companies. You know, Al Jazeera is a state-run company. RT is a state-run company. France 24, RFI are state-run companies. VOA is state-run companies. So I felt like the piece lacked that context to say that the trends that, that he's identifying in CCTV are also happening in other state-run media companies because state the governments employ these media for strategic purposes. These are not benevolent yeah. endeavors. Um, and so so that was the piece that I felt like was, well, okay, you're putting CCTV under a microscope without the proper context. And, again, the headline, I think, to me, set it, set it off. And, again, I, I did pick up the sense that he didn't write the headline because the article was more nuanced than the headline was. But without getting kind of too caught up on this, this idea that the Chinese are expanding their footprint in Africa, but they're coming from a very low starting point as well, nothing. Uh, and so by putting up a 24-hour network, they're, you know, they're kind of catching up to some of the other kind of major powers there. But, but Kobus, you know, I guess all of this investment that the Chinese are making – and we should be very, very clear here about our language – because the Start Times deal is not being done by a state-owned enterprise. It's being done by yes. a private enterprise. Yes. So when we say the Chinese here, there's a lot of gray area between the state, which is CCTV and Xinhua and the China Daily, and then private investment, which is what's happening in, uh, I think, the independent deal and as well as Start Times as well. So the question is, how could they, if they wanted to leverage this influence into influence, what would that actually look like?
1: That is a big and yeah, very interesting question. I, you know, kind of, I agree with you that it's really important to to, to maintain a distinction between between state-owned and private. That, that's really important. Another thing that I think is important is to to maintain this distinction between the state acting as the state, um, like like you see in the case of Xinhua, for example, and the Chinese state acting as an investor. You know, kind of, and those two are not as easy to to kind of to disentangle. But I think they should, you know, kind of. It's important to, you know, kind of to 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 be careful about those, you know, kind of because the Chinese state and you know Chinese regional government and so on. They are. In, you know, enthusiastic investors in all kinds of businesses as well. Um, so I think you know, kind of, it's really, it's important to, to keep that kind of distinction going as well. In terms of the, the, the you know, in terms of the, the the message they're putting out, I think it's it's really interesting, maybe or maybe a good idea to, to kind of to question our, um, you know, we've been saying the media's. Boring. It's bo- it's really is boring. Um, but you know, kind of, I think it's a good idea to to think about what kind of boring it is. It's a kind of a pious, state owned media kind of boring that a lot of Africans are used to. There, I think there is a lot of overlap between that kind of goody goody kind of non challenging you know, kind of quite kind of old world style kind of state media approach, you know, kind of that you see in China and in some cases Africa, certain African state broadcasters. So I'd love to see more kind of studies on how, you know, kind of middle class African consumers actually, you know, kind of react to this kind of content versus more kind of hard aging pointed content like, you know, Al Jazeera puts out. Um, I I don't have an answer to that, but, you know, I think it might not necessarily be that they – they might not necessarily have the same taste, you know, kind of as, as as media consumers in other countries. Okay,
0: let me let me kind of build on that, Aaron, and ask you a two part question, which the answer can kind of be merged into one. Uh, first yeah. of all, uh, back when you were living in Beijing, and and I, as I said, both of us have lived there, we turned on CCTV nine. That was back in the day when it was CCTV nine, which was the English language service, uh, and it was just dreadful. I mean, it was it was literally like college TV. Um, <laughs> but they've improved dramatically over the past 10 years. I mean it's really remarkable to see the production quality has gotten better, the sets have gotten better, they're hiring local, you know, Kenyan anchors and African correspondents around the continent. So it seems like they're making making progress at least in some parts of their storytelling ability. So I guess question number 1 is you know potentially, do you see them you know evolving to a point where they are competitive with al jazeera cnn france twenty four and other major international news networks so that their content actually is compelling because if you look at where they 've come from it 's pretty impressive. secondly, this question of the narrative and this is something that kobus brought up well this Western narrative you know we put Africa for the most part into you know four or five buckets it 's either famine, you know child soldiers, rape aids and you know corruption and then oh of course the safari and the lions and we love the happy dancing children um and you know the um you know the chinese are coming and saying listen like al jazeera we're going to tell a different story here so maybe it's not designed for a western audience but it's designed for a market that the west doesn't really talk to that much so combine those two points and see if you do you have a perspective on that
2: Sure, Um, I agree with you in that that um, CCTV has improved dramatically, and you know you see their reporters out at major news events now, um, and you never used to before. So they're you know they're on the ground and they're they're you know trying to do good reporting. Um, The problem is still. This goes back to what I mentioned before um, about. Sort of the, the the state influence the censorship on certain issues. You're right in that uh, you know every media organization does to some extent or another have, have things that they don't that they kind of avoid um, as subjects or you know specific wording around things or whatever. But I really do think that in the case of the, the Chinese media, it is a lot more extensive. Um, and so I think that that um, when it comes to whether uh, yes, they're becoming more competitive whether they'll begin to kind of be, you know, the go-to channel rather than, say, CNN or Al Jazeera. Um, I'm not so sure. I think the fact that, that they are kind of unwilling to talk about certain issues more than, I would argue, say, CNN, um, I think that that just holds back, holds back quality and sort of, you know, often it's the kind of things people really want to know about. And then they're not, you know, like... Like, for example, um, if, you know, if another kind of spat over, say, the Dalai Lama wanting to get a visa to South Africa, if something like that were to break out again, they just wouldn't cover it at all, I'm imagining. Or if they did, would have a very particular viewpoint um, on it, you know, the state line. Um, And I don't think that, I think viewers want to know more than that. And so I think... I think the uh, I think there are certain things about the the Chinese media that will hold it back from from kind of gaining wider popularity. Yeah, it, and does I th- that make sense? It
0: does. And I think it's one very important distinction that we need to make is that, you know, we've talked about Chinese media being state-owned. It's actually not state-owned. Um, the the Chinese media's primary purpose is to support the party. Uh, And it works for the party first and the state second. And that's a very important distinction because I think it goes to your point, Aaron, which is their priorities in terms of journalism are not necessarily the same values that, you know, traditional international journalism holds, which is to get both sides or multiple sides of a story. It's definitely to put forth the party's position. It will be interesting to see how, you know, viewers reconcile that uh, and to see if they're going to get information on this you know especially as China plays a bigger role in Africa in terms of corruption of Chinese industry as you said the Dalai Lama questions over Taiwan China and places like Swaziland uh, these are these are all some of the key issues so we'd like to hear what you think uh, are you watching Chinese media are you watching Chinese uh, you know TV reading the newspapers while going on to their new African websites uh, does it matter or as Kobus said is there just so much new media exploding all over uh, Africa that that really, the Chinese aren't standing out any more than any other foreign broadcaster is. So, a great place to to, uh, to share your opinions on this is over on our Facebook page. Uh, Kobus, can you believe it? We're now at 110,000 followers. It's really exciting. Wow, that's fantastic! And uh, and and what's exciting about it is that uh, so much, so many of those followers, uh, a vast majority, 65 percent, are from Africa, and the vast majority of that are uh, under the age of uh, 24. So, it's a really young, dynamic audience, uh, and we've got some great debates going on over there. So. Facebook.com slash China Africa project. Uh, That'll do it for this edition of the program. Uh, Aaron, at the end of each show, one of the things we do is we do a little shout out to kind of people want to follow what you're reading, what you're doing, where where they can find you on the Internet. Uh, I know you're on Twitter. What's the best place for people to find you and follow you?
2: Sure. On Twitter, I'm at EJCS, my initials. Um, and you can find my work at GlobalPost.com.
0: And again, another kind of hat tip to the Global Post. It's a great place to, to kind of check out international news with a slightly less um, kind of American-centric view of the world. And I think that's something very important for our international listeners. Uh, Kobus, where can people find you?
1: Um, I'm on our Facebook page. Uh, and you'll see my name in brackets when I respond to comments. I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as
0: well. Uh, I'm tweeting the top China-Africa headlines every day about, uh, on, and you can find me over at E-O-Lander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And uh, if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast, the best way to do it, of course, is on iTunes. But you can also find us on SoundCloud, on Stitcher, on the the BlackBerry Network. Uh, you know, Kobus, I don't know if the BlackBerry Network's really going to do much for us in the next, uh, you know, yeah, the no, we, we of might of BlackBerry. Going to sh- <laughs> <laughs> <Gonna> <laughs> slice <laughs> that one off the <laughs> list pretty soon. Uh, nonetheless, you can listen to us all over on Facebook as well. And so we'd love for you to follow us and give us any comments. So until next time, we'll be back with another edition of the China in Africa podcast.